We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. John chapter 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Good morning. Welcome again to Resurrection Oakland. Whether you are convinced of the claims of Christianity or unconvinced or somewhere in between, uh, we are so glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and today we are starting a new sermon series, which we're calling The Life of Peter, A Portrait of the Christian Life. So we're going to be taking snapshots throughout the New Testament to look at Peter's life. And I want to start this morning by asking if you could draw a picture of the perfect life, your perfect life, what would that picture look like? Wouldn't it be amazing if it was as easy as that? You draw a picture of your life and it happens. Well, what would that picture look like? It probably would not look anything like the life of Peter. Uh, Peter was a really complicated person. Uh, He was filled with faith one moment, then he was filled with doubt the next moment. We see Peter walking on water one moment, and the next moment he's sinking. Uh, Peter is courageous one moment, and he's a coward the next moment. Jesus, uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ one moment, and moments later, Jesus is calling Peter Satan. Uh, Peter promises never to deny Jesus, and he ends up denying Jesus three times. Uh, No one would draw up a life like Peter's and say, this is what I want my life to look look like. But the thing is that Peter's life is actually a great picture of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And we all need to see more of Peter in our lives this morning. Because there are some of us this morning who are still figuring out what to believe about Jesus, and we are not sure if we want to identify as Christians. And the Christian, one of the things that is holding us back is that the Christian life feels unattainable. Uh, we are afraid to take the first step because we, we just know that if we even try to follow Jesus, we would mess it up. 
And some of us in this room, we identify as Christians. We are convinced that these things are all true, and we want them to be true for our lives, but we are constantly feeling like we're falling short. We leave church on Sundays feeling guilty and burdened and ashamed and wondering if we're ever going to measure up to the things that God wants for us. See, all of us in this room, we need to know that God is at work in our lives. And how do we know that? Well, we can know by looking at Peter's life, because Peter's life gives us a beautiful picture of not an extraordinary Christian life, but a normal Christian life, an ordinary Christian life. See, Peter's life shows us that the Christian life is not about avoiding failure and messy things, but it's about having a Savior who redeems our failure and redeems the messy things in our lives. So, in this series, we're going to see that Peter is sent out by Jesus to represent him. We're going to see that next week. We see that Peter doubts Jesus, and Jesus meets Peter in his doubts. We're going to see that in two weeks. And today, we're going to see how Jesus names Peter. He renames Peter, and that's what we are going to be looking at this morning, how Peter is named by Jesus. Names are important. Names are important. In the book Freakonomics, uh, Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner tell the story of an interesting man named Robert Lane, who had many children, and he decided to name two of his children Winner and Loser. He thought it would be funny. He thought it would be a, a, a good joke. His son, Loser, did not think that it was funny. How do you grow up with a name like Loser? Well, Loser grew up with this name by not letting the name define him. And in fact, he was not a loser. He did extraordinary things. He got a scholarship to a college prep high school in his town. He went to a college. He joined the NYPD and made detective and eventually sergeant. And by the time he was an adult, uh, nobody was calling him loser anymore. Uh, he got a new name. In fact, he says, I got lots of new names. People called him random names like Jimmy and Timmy, and his friends in the police force called him Lou. Somehow, uh, the name loser just didn't fit him. Well, in today's passage, Peter gets a new name, and it's the first thing that Jesus does when he meets Peter. And did you know that this is what God does for you also? When you meet Jesus, when you first put your faith in Jesus, Jesus, the first thing he does is he gives you a new name. And it's a name that changes everything. It's a, it, it changes the way that you think about yourself. It, it changes the way that you think about your life, and it changes who you are. And so how does this work? Well, we're going to dive into this passage by looking at how Jesus gives Peter a new name, and we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at how Peter meets Jesus, number one. Number two, we're going to look at why Jesus renames Peter. And then lastly, number three, we're going to look at how Jesus changes your name. So let's start with the first point here, how Peter meets Jesus. Did you know that Peter is one of the most important people in the New Testament. It's probably a name that you recognize if you're familiar with the Bible at all, if you've read the New Testament at all. Peter's name, just in the first four books of the New Testament, 
the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just in those four books, Peter's name appears 200 times. Do you know how many times the names of all the other 12 disciples combined appear? They only appear 50 times. And John, who is the author of the book that we're reading, the Gospel according to John, his name only appears 13 times. So Peter is an important person. Uh, he is a major figure in the New Testament. And so you would think he must have an incredible origin story. Peter must have, ha must have an amazing story of how he met Jesus. But if you look at today's passage, his story is really not that incredible. It's kind of boring. Not much happens. Peter's not even looking for Jesus. It's almost accidental that he gets to meet Jesus. You know who has an amazing story? Peter's brother. Peter has a brother named Andrew. And Andrew has an incredible story of meeting Jesus. The first thing that we learn about Andrew in this passage is that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet, and there had been no prophets in Israel for 400 years. So he's the first prophet in Israel for in 400 years. And John the Baptist talked about two things more than anything else. He talked about the kingdom of God, and he talked about this Messiah who is coming, this Messiah whose sandals he was unworthy to untie. And Andrew, when he heard about John the Baptist, he started following him. That's what a disciple does. A dis discipleship is an old way of going to school, and you basically find a teacher that you want to follow, and you follow that teacher. You live with that teacher, and basically you're in class 24-7. And so, so Andrew is following John the Baptist, learning everything he can about God, learning everything about God's kingdom, learning everything about the coming Messiah. Now, one thing that's clear in this passage is that Peter was not one of John the Baptist's disciples. Peter wasn't interested in the kingdom of God. He wasn't interested in learning about God. Peter was not looking for the Messiah. Do you know what Peter was interested in? He was interested in fishing. That's what his job was. He was a fisherman. He grew up in a town called Bethsaida, which means house of fish. If you are born in a town called Bethsaida, house of fish, you don't choose your job. Your job chooses you. And so Peter grew up knowing that what he was going to do the rest of his life is catch fish for a living. So where was Peter when Andrew was meeting Jesus? He was probably at work doing his job, catching fish. Peter's name may appear 200 times in the Gospels, but it doesn't appear in this passage until we're halfway through it, almost at the end in verse 41. Peter met Jesus not because he had done anything to deserve meeting Jesus, not because he was so concerned about the things of God. Peter just met Jesus because he happened to know someone who knew Jesus. His brother Andrew was with John the Baptist and another disciple when Jesus passed by, and John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. And so the two disciples followed Jesus. They didn't even go up to Jesus. They didn't talk to him. They just followed him for a while until Jesus turns around and he says, what are you looking for? 
And the disciples say, well, where do you live? And Jesus says, come and you will see. And so they follow Jesus to his house. They spend the whole day with him until four o'clock, which is around the end of the day in that culture. They probably had dinner with him. And by the end of the day, Andrew becomes convinced that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Messiah that the Old Testament had been talking about, that the Messiah that the people of Israel had been waiting for thousands of years. And the first thing Andrew does is he goes to tell his brother Peter. In verse 41, we see Andrew running to Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. Then he brings Peter to Jesus. You know, what's great about this story is that Peter cannot take credit for his faith. The only reason he met Jesus was because his brother Andrew introduced him to Jesus. But if you look closely, Andrew can't take credit for his faith either because the only reason Andrew was able to meet Jesus is because John the Baptist introduced him to Jesus. And how did John the Baptist meet Jesus? Even John the Baptist can't take credit for his faith. The only reason John the Baptist met Jesus is because his mother Elizabeth was cousins with Jesus' mother Mary. You know, there's a pattern here. Not only for Peter, but for everyone. The pattern is the only way that you can come to know God, the only way that you can come to know Jesus is through people, through relationship. Some of you in this room, you have incredible stories about meeting Jesus. You have a, a story of one day, it just the penny dropped, Jesus became real to you, your entire life changed. But some of you have stories that are more like Peter's. You were not really interested in the things of God. You were not interested in going to church. You were not interested in Jesus. You were not interested in changing your life. You were, you were, you were happy with your life. And there, you, you happened to have people in your life had, who had spent time with Jesus. And as you spent time with people who had been with Jesus, you started to want to meet Jesus also. And gradually, your life started to change. See, we talk about how, all the time, we talk all the time about how we want to be a church where everyone can belong before they believe. Why do we say that? Because the Bible really shows us the way that anyone believes is by belonging. It begins with belonging. It begins with having people in your life who have been changed by Jesus. But did you know that you also need to belong in order to keep believing? You not only need to belong in order to believe, you need to belong in order to keep believing because this is how faith works. No one comes to know God and no one comes to grow in their faith in God and no one gets transformed by God in isolation, hiding in their room, reading the Bible, praying and worshiping or listening to podcasts. The way any of us grow is being around other people who remind us this is what it's like to be with Jesus. Let me show you how to be with him. Let's go be with him together. Come and let's see together. Why does it work this way? It works this way because God is not an idea to be mastered. He is a person to be known. 
And what God wants for you is not just to know the answers to all the questions that you have about God, all the questions that you have about the meaning of life. He wants you to be with him and to know him. I love what Jesus does with these awkward disciples. They just follow him. They don't even say anything. He says, what do you want? They say, where do you live? And he says, come and you will see. What's Jesus saying? He's inviting them into relationship. He doesn't say, go and you will see. Go. Here's, here's my address. Here's, here, look on your map. Go. You will see where I live. He says, come. Come with me. Come and see where I live. Come and be with me. Come spend time with me. Come and get to know me. Then you will see. You will see who I am. You will see where I live. And you will see why you are following me. Christianity Christianity is ultimately just people inviting people to come and see Jesus over and over again. And this is good news for all of us today, this morning, because it means that no matter where you are this morning, if you are like Peter and you could care less what the Bible says about names or anything else, and you're wondering, how can any of these things make a difference in my life? You don't need to figure that out. What you need is a community where people are meeting with Jesus. Christianity is just people inviting people to come and see Jesus over and over again. That's what we need, and that's why we need a church. We need to be a place where people are inviting one another, not just those outside, but even those inside. And this is also what God calls us to, to invite people in our lives to come and be with the Messiah over and over again, which means anyone can meet Jesus at any time if they just know someone who has been with Jesus. So what happens? What happens when you meet Jesus? He gives you a new name. This brings us to our second point, why Jesus renames Peter. The first thing that Jesus does when he meets Peter, is he gives him a new name. And we have been calling Peter, Peter, this whole morning, but if you read closely, you saw that his name was not always Peter. The, the name that his parents gave him was Simon. And we see this in John 1:42. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. And then he says, you will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter, the Bible tells us. Cephas is Aramaic, and it means rock. Peter is Greek, and it means rock. And so Jesus is naming Simon. He's giving him a new name, which means rock. Now today, there are a lot of people named Peter, uh, but in the first century, Peter was not a proper name. No one had that name. And so it was a weird thing for Jesus to give Peter this name, and he was giving them this, a nickname. Uh, why this name? Why call Peter a rock? Well, three reasons that we're going to look at this morning. First, Jesus knew that Peter wanted to be a rock-solid person. This is what Peter wanted for himself. And you see this throughout Peter's life. See, Peter is the boldest of all the apostles. He's often the first one to speak, even if what he says is going to be wrong. He's impulsive. He, Peter is the disciple that attempted to walk on water. He's the one that always spoke for the disciples. He's the one that made big promises, even though he couldn't live up to them. He wanted so desperately to be a leader. He wanted so desperately to have credibility. He wanted to be someone who is solid, with weight, 
with, with, who, who is respected, someone that people looked up to, someone that people depended on. This is what Peter wanted for himself. Now, there's a second reason that Jesus named Simon Peter is that Jesus knew, there's a second thing here, Jesus knew that Peter failed at being rock solid. Jesus knew that Peter failed at being rock solid. He wanted more than anything to be a rock solid person, but if you look at Peter's life, you know that he failed over and over again. While he was following Jesus, even though he was with Jesus 24-7, he failed over and over again. He constantly got Jesus' teaching wrong. He broke his promise. He fell asleep when Jesus needed him most while he was praying on the night before his crucifixion. He denied Jesus three times. He did all of this while he was following Jesus. Can you imagine how much Peter must have messed up before he started following Jesus? And knowing how much he wanted to be a rock, can you imagine how much he hated himself every time he slipped up? You know, the Bible tells us when after Peter denied Jesus three times, he wept bitterly. And that's just a snapshot of how he must have dealt with failure throughout his life. Can you imagine the way he talked to himself? Peter, you idiot. Peter, you're worthless. Peter, you're, you're so undependable. Peter, why, you did it again. Peter, why can't you get it together? Can you imagine how much he hated himself? And the beautiful thing about John's account here is that Jesus renames Peter the moment he meets him. You know, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, there's a similar passage where Jesus gives Simon the name Peter. But that happens in chapter 16. And it happens in a moment, in a really good moment, a highlight of Peter's life where he does something amazing. He, he, he proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, and we're going to look at that passage later in this series. But in John, Jesus gives Simon the name Peter when he first meets him, before Simon is able to do anything to earn that name. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, Simon, I, I know you're not rock solid. I know you want to be rock solid, and, I, and you're going to fail at it. And I want you to know even in your, your lowest moments, when you feel worthless, you will always be Peter to me. You will always be Peter to me. Jesus knew he would need this name before he could earn it as a gift of grace and unconditional love. Third reason that Jesus gave Peter this name, Jesus knew that he would make Peter rock solid. One of the kind of cool things about this passage is that Peter's name appears before Peter appears. When, we, when Andrew goes to Peter, it tells us that Andrew was Peter's brother because by, by this point, nobody knows who Simon is. They only know him as Peter. Why? Because Peter has been transformed. Through the ministry of Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter has become a different person. And as we go through this series, we're going to see Peter become a different person. We're going to see Peter become more rock solid, more bold, more courageous, more dependable, more faithful, more humble, more gentle. He's, he becomes one of the most significant leaders of the early church. Peter's letters become part of the New Testament. His life story becomes the gospel according to Mark. Peter becomes rock solid. Jesus knows that he will become more like his name. When you meet Jesus, 
he gives you a new name. And if you're wondering, why doesn't Jesus give Andrew a new name? Fair point. Uh, he, do, he doesn't do this with all the disciples, right? But what, what, what I'm saying here, what, what, what's, what we need to take away from this passage is that Jesus doesn't literally give you a new name. He does something even more wonderful than that. Can you imagine what would happen if Jesus renamed every one of his disciples? Then everybody would think, well, all I need to change my life is change my name. That's not how it works. There's something more wonderful that's happening here. When you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 4, John, the apostle John, who also wrote the gospel according to John, gets this vision of heaven, and he says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. What's John saying? He's not saying that Jesus is going to write on your forehead. He's saying that God is going to put his name over you, that God is going to give you a new name, his name, and your name will be part of his name. It means that, you know how when people sometimes write their names on a hoodie to, to make sure that people know it belongs to them? It means that God has written his name over you so that the world can know you belong to me. We just witnessed a baptism today. And one of the things that baptism represents is that in baptism, in the waters of baptism, God is saying, this child, this person, this man, this woman belongs to me, and I delight in them. I put my name over them, and I am going to be with them, and I'm going to love them, and I'm never going to leave them or forsake them. Now think of all the names that Peter must have been called throughout the course of his life. Arrogant, hypocrite, coward, impulsive, unstable, unreliable, undependable. Think of all the names that Peter must have called himself. And here, at the beginning of their relationship, is Jesus is saying, Peter, no one else can name you. You can't even name yourself. Only I can name you. And you know what I choose to name you? I choose to name you the rock. What are the names that haunt you? Names that other people call you. Names that you call yourself. Names like ugly or fat, or unlikable, or dumb, or awkward, or weak, or lazy. Words like loser. Words that names that are a lot worse than any of these things that we cannot mention on a Sunday morning in a sermon at church. Jesus wants to tell you this morning that no one else can name you, and you cannot name yourself. Only he can name you, and the name he wants to put over you is his name, a name that he writes over your heads, a name that can never be taken away from you. And so how can we believe that this is true? And what does this even mean to have the name of God over our lives? This brings us to the last thing we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus changes your name. Now, before Jesus gave Simon the name Peter, the very first thing that happens in today's passage, in verses 35 and 36, is Jesus gets a new name. 
Uh, Jesus gets the name Lamb of God. John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. And uh, what is the Lamb of God? Well, the Lamb of God appears several times in the Old Testament. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we see the theme of the Lamb of God. In Genesis chapter 2, Abraham is on a mountain called Moriah, and he is about to sacrifice his son Isaac, that he, the son that he loves, in order to prove his faith in God. And God stops him before he could do it. And he provides a lamb caught in the thicket so that the lamb can die in Isaac's place so Isaac can live. We see the Lamb of God again in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, God is sending the 10th plague over, uh, for, over Egypt to save his people from slavery. And in this plague, God strikes down every firstborn in, in Egypt, not just Egyptians, but everyone, not just children, but also animals. And the only thing that can spare people is a sacrificial lamb and God tells the people of Israel to take a lamb, each household, take a lamb, sacrifice it, smear the blood on the doorposts, and when God comes over Egypt in judgment, he'll pass over these homes because of the sacrificial lamb. In Leviticus 16, and also throughout the entire book of Leviticus, we learn about a sacrificial system where lambs are slaughtered to pay for the sins of people. And in Leviticus 16, we learn about the Day of Atonement, where the high priest goes to the temple once a year to sacrifice a lamb to pay for the sins of the, for the entire nation of Israel. So in the Old Testament, what is the Lamb of God? In the Old Testament, the Lamb of God is a pathetic animal that pays for human sin so people can know the great love of God and live in relationship with him. What is the Lamb of God in the New Testament? In the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is the true Lamb of God. And it's not an animal, but it's God in the flesh who dies to pay for our sin and our guilt and our shame and anything else that would condemn us. See, the reason why we can get God's name is because Jesus got the name Lamb of God. Jesus is the lamb caught in the thicket who died to save Abraham's son. Jesus is the lamb whose blood was smeared on doorposts so that Hebrew firstborns would be spared and they can live. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that paid for an entire nation on the Day of Atonement. And John the Baptist also tells us that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This means that when Jesus renamed Peter, it wasn't just wishful thinking. Jesus wasn't saying, Peter, here's a, here's a new name. People are going to call you Peter now. Live up to it. Do your best. Do better. You're the rock now. You got this. It's not a motivational tool. It is actually something that is grounded in a historical fact. Jesus died on a cross like a lamb. 
He rose in three days. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming again to make all things new. And he did this to give Peter a new name, and this is how he gives you a new name. There's this incredible moment at the end of the book, The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. It's a, it's a crazy twist. And spoiler alert, I am going to spoil this for you, okay? It's been out around for a while, so you, you, you had your shot. It, it's published in 1859, right? Um, if it helps, I won't use names. So there's this moment at the end of the book, and it takes place during the French Revolution during a period called the Reign of Terror. The, the government is, is, is going through a lot of problems. There's civil war, there's war from enemies, and they're afraid that the government, the new revolution, is going to collapse. And so any person who seemed like a threat to the revolution would, would be imprisoned, and many were put to death. And so in this book, there's a, a wealthy man who comes from a horrible family who had a, a lot of money before the revolution and did unspeakable things to the poor people in their community. And he's, even before the revolution, he was so ashamed of his family, so ashamed of his name, that he's changed his name, and he hid behind this new name, and he, he went to England and tried to create a new life there for himself. But it caught up to him. He couldn't hide behind his new name forever. And people learned what his true identity was. And he was imprisoned, and he was sentenced to death. Now, there's a, another man. And this second man has been in love with the woman who married this wealthy man. And when the wealthy man proposed to her, he told her, don't marry him, marry me. But she went with the wealthy man. And he could legitimately say, the reason my life sucks, the reason why I am a loser, the reason why I'm alone, the reason why I am so unhappy is because of this man, this man who is about to be sentenced to death. And so on the morning of his execution, he goes to visit the wealthy man moments before his execution. And you expect him to gloat. You expect him to tell him, you know, don't worry, I'm going to take care of your wife. Something crazy but you know what he does? You know what he does? He has this man drugged, which doesn't sound great, <laughs> but what he does next is incredible. He has the man dragged out of the prison, reunited with his wife. He goes into the prison, puts on the wealthy man's clothes, and goes to the guillotine to die in his place. See, this second man resembled the first man, and earlier in the book, there are times where he was mistaken from him from a distance. He looks, they look so alike. And so he took on the condemned man's name. Why? Because he's of his great love for this woman, this woman who had rejected him. He loved her so much that he could not bear the thought of her growing, growing old without her husband. And so he took the place of the man that he hates so that the woman that he loves could have a long and happy life with her husband and her child. Isn't that inc incredible? What an amazing story. What a twist. And the very last words of this book is this now condemned man who has taken the place of his enemy and he says, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I've ever done. 
it is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Now, every single one of us in this room, we have internalized names that condemn us, names that call out our every weakness, every failure, every sin, everything that is broken in us. And no matter how much you try to hide from these names, and we all try, we try to hide from these names in our work, we try to hide from these names in, in our self-righteousness, we try to hide from these names by having a good time, we, we hide from these names by getting people to like us, we hide these things in our addictions, we hide these things in our distractions, we hide, these, we hide from these names through our perfectionism, but it never works because... The names that condemn us always find us out. We cannot hide forever. But Jesus, because of his great love for us, trades places with us on the cross. He takes our name so that he can get, we can get his name. See, when Jesus gives you a new name, it is not wishful thinking. It is based on a historical event. Jesus is able to call you beautiful because on the cross he became ugly. Jesus is able to call you holy because Jesus on the cross became unholy. Jesus is able to call you pure because on the cross Jesus became impure. Jesus is able to call you strong because on the cross, Jesus became weak. He's able to call you loved because on the cross, he became unloved. He's able to call you immortal because Jesus on the cross died as a mortal. Jesus is able to call you mine because on the cross, no one wanted to say to him, you are mine, and he was utterly alone abandoned even by his father, so that you might know that your father will never abandon you. This is good news. And if you believe this, this name, the name that Jesus give you will, gives you will change everything. It'll change the way that you think about yourself. It'll change the way that you think about him. It'll change the way that you think about other people. And that is what this table represents. At this table, just like Jesus said to those two disciples, come and you will see. Jesus invites you. Come and you will see. Come and be with me. See how I love you. See how I died for you. See how I rose again. And see how I am coming again for you. Come when you take this, it fills you with wonder, and it sends you out to invite others to come. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me, and as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you that our hope, that our name is not de defined by who we are and what we do or what other people see in us and what they say. Lord, that in Jesus you have named us, and you've given us his name, your name, and we pray that you would help us to believe this in such a way that, 
that our hearts will be transformed, our lives will be transformed, and God, that we will be a community that is so inviting, that we'll be constantly inviting people in to belong and to, to be with you, people inside this room and people outside this room. And so, God, we, we pray that you would transform us by this great hope that we have in Jesus, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.